You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20 year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas. And I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode number 263 of the Make It British podcast. Today, I'm chatting to Claire Winton from Grow Wild Outdoor Wear. It's a new brand for women in pregnancy or the early stages of motherhood. And Claire had the idea to develop the brand three years ago, knowing nothing about making a clothing product at all. So she first started as many brands do, by Googling and came across an agency who said they'd help her develop her products and get everything made for her in China. After two frustrating years, she then stumbled across me and Make It British and I introduced her to factories in the UK who could make her products. It's really interesting to hear her experience, the difference between working with these factories overseas and now working with partners in the UK. She's just about to launch her brand after three years since she first had the idea. And I'm so excited to introduce Claire Winton to you. Here you go. Let's hear from Claire. Claire, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Kate. Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, I know you're super busy at the moment, aren't you? Because you're just about to launch. At the time that we're recording this podcast, you are just about to launch your Grow Wild Outdoors brand. Exciting. I am. I am. Yes, next Thursday, I will be on my way to London for the live launch. <laughs> Crazy. So do you want to start by telling me, let's start from the beginning, what's your background and how did you first come up with the idea for a range of outdoor clothing and accessories for pregnant and early motherhood women? So my background is, is nothing to do with the clothing industry. I've been working in scientific research for the last 20 years, <laughs> nearly now. And it, But I've always been an outdoorsy person. I grew up in West Cork in Ireland and then have been in, like I say, in West Wales for 20 years. And I really, it, it sort of was when I got pregnant with my daughter in 2019 and first child and you don't really know what to expect. And I started looking for maternity wear for my, my lifestyle and it just wasn't there. And I, and I sort of, it, it was a time of life where like, there's a lot changing. You're about to become a mother and life is going to change quite dramatically. Your body is changing. And I, and I found it, well, hang on, why can't I carry on doing the things that are still really important to me, whether that's just walking the dog, not, you know, not even serious hiking, but, but just, just getting outdoors and, and enjoying it. And I felt the clothing shouldn't make that difficult for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I spoke to lots of other similarly sort of outdoorsy women that had been through pregnancy and, and they had similar frustrations. So I decided to do something about it. <laughs> so you've went... When you first had the idea, what was the first thing you did? So you got an idea for this clothing brand. Your background's nothing to do with clothing. What was the first thing you did? 
I mean, the very first thing I did was a lot of customer research. I think it was, it was probably, it was May 2020. And I, that's when I started. I actually started via Facebook, reaching out to people. I joined all of these different Facebook groups, outdoor mums and ladies that love livestock and all of these places where outdoorsy women would be. And I, I just started asking questions about, you know, does any, would anyone be happy to talk to me about their experiences and I started off with telephone interviews, sort of, I, I spoke to, I don't know, maybe 10 or so people, 10 or 12 people for quite a long time on the phone with a series of questions I'd pulled together. And then from there, I had a sense of what people were thinking. So I put together uh, just a little survey on SurveyMonkey and I managed to get about 70 odd people to answer that for me. So that really informed then that, A, this was a viable idea, like there was a market for this. People were, people were wanting this. People were dissatisfied with the offers. And then it also informed the sort of products I thought, right, okay, I'll develop this because I'd seen things like maternity. There was a pair of maternity walking trousers out there, but I, I didn't particularly like them. They weren't quite what I wanted. So, and when I spoke to people, actually people wanted just good quality maternity leggings that they could walk in that weren't going to fall apart at the drop of a hat and had some pockets. So, you know, some of the essentials just, but just weren't there in the quality. So after I sort of knew what I wanted to do. That's when I, I then turned to Google <laughs> and started trying to work out how on earth do you manufacture these things? Again, no contacts in the industry whatsoever. And I actually, I found, oh, I don't know, one of the, one of the big manufacturers they have kind of all in-house, you know, from design to manufacture based in, they've got headquarters in Europe. They've got manufacturing sites in Vietnam. And I just sent them an email going, hello, <laughs> I'm not even a startup yet. I don't exist. But could, could I talk to someone? And actually, they were really nice. I had a Zoom call with a lovely lady who, I mean, and they, they designed, they're making for, you know, some of the big, the big outdoor brands, um, Fjall Raben and things. And she said very nicely, well, we don't really do startups. We kind of take on people who've got a million pound turnover. <laughs> That's like, okay. But she, she yeah. recommended a few, like, places I could look at. She said you could talk to some fabric mills direct because they'll have, you know, people that they're selling this sort of fabric to or... She recommended then you could try a, this design consultancy agency that was based in the UK and they said they specialized in sportswear and startups. And I thought, well, that sounds, that sounds perfect. That's, you know, this is what I need. I don't know what I'm doing here, even how to begin. So I, I contacted them and that's, that's how my journey started. That was in October then 2020. I signed a contract with them to, to sort of produce a range. And well, it didn't go quite as we planned, which is why I've been working with you for the last year. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, firstly, all credit to you for doing all that research first, because a lot of people skip out that research stage. So what was brilliant is you really got to know the customer first and what the customer wanted, and that helped inform your development process you were doing. You know, I'm a big fan of customer research, especially like the fact that you got them on the phone and spoke to them directly. Yeah, that was um, scary. <laughs> I found that really nerve wracking, but you know, I was very like, I need to be sure that this isn't just me that has this problem and has this idea. Cause I've had a million business ideas in the past, <laughs> but this was exactly. one that I thought this stuck with me. And I thought, no, do you know what? I think, I think this is, yeah, this is something that, that really like is a problem for a lot of people uh, and it shouldn't be. <laughs> mm. But then turning to Google to try and find some way of getting that product then to come to life and getting it made is also, yeah, it's not uncommon at all. That's what where so many startup, clothing brand startups do start. Yeah. Um, and the agency that you got in touch with, when you first contacted them, 
were you under the impression they were going to make everything in the UK? Did they tell you they were going to be making it overseas? What was the deal there? No, I, I had thought it was going to be overseas because, again, I mean, everything, you know, you look at every clothing label and these days and, and, and most of them are, well, made in China or made overseas. You know, I've, I've, so I sort of assumed, well, that was, that was just how you have to do things, especially as a small startup brand. And they very much confirmed that it was very much where well, you need to go to China, you know, startup brand, that's, that's just how it goes. You know, your, your costs aren't going to work out otherwise. So I said, oh. Okay, the, you're the experts. <laughs> okay, eye rolls um, for those know, listening yeah, to the audio. Uh, yeah, but I mean, is it, you know, the very, at that stage, I was very much like, not just inexperienced, but I, I would almost say a different person back then. You know, this was three years ago and I was um, much more, well, had much less confidence in my, my own abilities or my own knowledge or, you know, it was very much, I'd be more willing to defer to somebody who, you know, well, you're, you're the authority in this. Okay, yes, I, I wouldn't even question it because I just assume that you, and there's that kind of trust when you've signed up with someone who is positioning themselves as an expert in the industry. That's that kind of what you're paying for. So, yeah, I, I just went along with that. <laughs> yeah, and then and then what happens? Tell us a little bit more about how it went <laughs> with that agency. I We had the initial sort of brief and, you know, someone called about this because obviously it was covid so there was no meeting people in person you know so you're trying to communicate long distance which is always harder anyway but you know i thought i'd gotten across my kind of this is my vision this is what i am and i'd sent over like a written brief and details and stuff and i'd say what was it i don't know a month later or something i got back a pack of designs and and they were just nothing close to what i'd asked for for one thing it was like when it was pink urban yoga wear type stuff gym stuff and i was going no, no, this is an outdoorsy brand. And, and one item, again, I'd asked for like a quarter zip fleece design and I came back with like a roll neck top. So in, in hindsight, that should have given me some really big warning flags, like, hang on, why aren't you? And now I think if somebody had missed the mark so, so much that early, I probably would have stepped back or had some very kind of serious conversations about, is this going to work if you can't follow? But they sort of talked, oh, oh, it was a new designer and I'm going to be much more on it now. The boss was like, no, no, I'm going to be much more in supervising. So we kind of went on and um, we did get some designs and then they went forward to prototype stage, again, made in China. And, and I was, to be fair, I was very happy with the quality of the prototype that came back to me. You know, it was, it was, it was a nice piece. You know, they were, I mean, I started with six, six items. Because um, they said, oh, well, really, to be a credible brand, when you launch, you need to have at least six different styles. I went, okay. Having having initially had the conversation with them, well, I only have this much money, but then... Oh, so you told them that up front then, how much, what your budget was for production. It was so minimal. Now I look back and I, like, now I know more. I'm like, well, there's no way I could have afforded to make six stars. I could barely afford their fees. You know, but they were just like, yeah, 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 fine, we'll design six for you. You know, again, maybe they were expecting me to be able to say, well, no, I've just told you I have this much budget. I can't do that. You've got to do one or two pieces for me. But but again, because I was the startup, they were the experts, I went, well, that's what we just have to do. And of course, at that point, I didn't have any insight into how much it was actually going to cost, either from a development point of view. Or they'd given me their fees, so I knew how much they would charge, but I had no idea how how the costs rack up when you're developing prototypes couriers raw materials you know you're paying for that sampling that there's there's so much cost that, and i still i look at the bank statements and go oh, so much money just 
just went into that yeah. and you know I and then and then like say with COVID anyway and all the stuff in the world that's been changing in the last few years costs just started to spiral from raw materials to shipping you know it and then we had the COVID shutdowns particularly in China where it was just like drop of a hat there goes a whole not just a whole factory but the whole region is just being shut down so it was it was like worrying I was getting you know, we had we had more pickups and more problems uh, that we solved along the way. <laughs> did it was a learning you, curve. Did they, at any stage, did they give you an indication of what the minimum order quantities would be per style of these six styles? Oh, I, I think they did give some insight, but again, it wasn't really. Because I still didn't know what what it would cost to make it, so it was a bit, you know, I I couldn't really work it out as it were going looking forwards because, you know, with no with no context coming into the industry totally new, you know, and they were always very reluctant to to give sort of solid information. And I understand that they didn't want to put, you know, give me a number that then they couldn't stick to because the markets fluctuate. But it was very hard saying, well, I need a a ballpark I need something you know that I can then work with because it's very hard to make decisions if you don't have all of the information you know so what it was was being asked to make a decision on something and then you know how many months later you you get the the cost and the, the outcome and the results and then you've sort of you've put so much in down the line and it sort of felt like well oh here's the bill is that okay and I just felt a bit like well it has to be doesn't it because otherwise how do I how do I proceed you know what's I didn't feel like I had any other options at that point. It was sort of that, I think, was it the sunk cost fallacy where you've, you've put so much in, so yeah. you better just keep going, keep going. And it did. It was like that for, like, say, two years, I think it was, with them. Gosh. Yeah. And how much was that bill then? 40 grand. 40 grand, yeah. It was, that was 25% more than, I got a quote in the summer, and then, like, two months later, it was 25% higher. It came up to 40 grand. I was like, well, that, that extra eight grand, that was my shipping budget that I still don't actually know what it should be because no one can give me any hint as to what it could be. It was the sort of nail in the coffin, really, after a long... You know, I'd been progressively more concerned over the year because at one point we had to switch factories because I don't know. I still don't know to this day, but I just got an email saying, we've had a problem with the factory. We can't go ahead with that one, but we found you another one. And I, at that point, I did say, well, can we look at factories in Europe instead? Can You know, these are my concerns about China. From a, from a business point of view, from a transparency point of view, because again, I felt like I could, I, I, there's no way I can visit a factory in China. I do not have the budget right now for factory visits to China as much as I would like to. So I had no real transparency. Again, still relying on what somebody else was saying. You know, I'd say, well, can you tell me about this factory and what are the standards? And, you know, because I'm actually a quality assurance auditor and they just go, oh, it's very good. Yes, it's been audited. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, to 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 what that, what are we talking here? What are we measuring this against? Because just saying it's a very good what factory, audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was you know many from from a sort of business point of view, supply chain, logistics, ethics, transparency. I I was kind of really going. I'm not happy with China. But when I sort of suggested it, they they said, oh, we just don't think we don't think we can afford Europe. It's too it's too expensive for you. You can't you know you, you margins well work and da, 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 da. so I went okay well. <laughs> Because again, I don't know what it costs to manufacture in Europe. So I'm trusting when they say, oh, it'll cost twice or three times as much. I go, okay, well, there we go then. <laughs> I'm still stuck on this path. But yeah, like I say, we got to the October and I went, I'm pulling the plug. 
Can you remember how you then found me? I think it was after several weeks of Googling manufacturers again, because I was kind of back to square one again, not quite square one because I had tech packs. I had my actual prototypes. But in terms of, yeah, finding all the raw materials, finding a manufacturer, getting into the industry, I had I had absolutely nothing to go from. And that is the that is the trouble with using, you know, a consultancy because into their contract was built like, you know, we you can't you can't use any of our suppliers for, I don't know, something like two years after our agreement ends unless we agree in writing and everything else. Um so and, and it was no good no good to me because all the supplies were in the Far East. Anyway, I didn't <laughs> I'd already decided that wasn't the option for me. So no, I Googled many things, manufacturers in the UK and fabric supply and things. And then I can't remember how, because again, I was looking at, I don't know, 20 tabs at a time every night, trying to pick my way through stuff. <laughs> and then your website popped up and I went, please let this be <laughs> something I can use. I remember. And you sent me a message. They were like, can I speak to you this afternoon? I'm desperate. And I couldn't believe the, the, the whole story. Well, actually, I could believe the story because I've had heard this so many times before. And I suppose the good point thing was, Claire, you did decide to pull the plug at that time. Yeah. You could have, like, said, oh. continue throwing good money after bad yeah. Yeah. and pay this 40000 plus because mm. it probably would have gone up or from the 40000 to get these six items made yeah yeah okay so then we met <laughs> and you joined the british brand accelerator and i introduced you to some uk factories unfortunately you had to start again with your patents didn't you because the agency owned the patents yeah, part the of their agreement did. was sorry yeah 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 so, so i had, you had no to start idea again yeah yeah but then can you tell me what your experiences have been working with the uk factories now compared to the experience you had before but I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, I, I had no idea. You know, when I remember one of the first factories sort of got in contact uh, with and they were much like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, you can come. Because I didn't even know you could come and visit factories, really. You know, it was all this sort of like, Ooh, you're allowed to do that. And, and, and they were like, going, go to the factory, go to the, go factory. To the factory. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and they were like, yeah, well, if you come over, um, you know, we can put a sample together. Like, they're in front of you while you wait. And I was like, what? Like, what? It takes, you can do this in that time? Because obviously I've been waiting three, four, goodness knows how many months for each sample. I mean, I think I had, you know, over two years, I think we had like three rounds of samples. You know, it took that long. That's and mad. so I just assumed, yeah, yeah, you know, sampling just takes two to three months at least. <laughs> and it was so this idea of like, yeah, well, if you just bring all your stuff and we'll just put it together for you. <laughs> it's like, what? So yeah, the speed at which you can you can do things, you know, when you know you're actually on the ground, but the progress you make as well by being face to face, and whether that's from label design, because my my labels are all being made down in down the road from me in Pembrokeshire, so that's been brilliant. So I was able to knit down because I had a phone call or and a couple of emails, and you know I just said, oh, look, I'll just come down, and then we were able to go through all the options. I was able to because again I don't know the terminology still, you know, or I do now because I'm getting learned a lot in twelve months. But you know I'm saying I'm just kind of going. I wanted to look like this, and he was like, oh well, these are all the ways we could do that. I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. There's no way I could have got to that just talking to someone remotely it's just not possible sometimes you need to be able to sit around a table and kind of point at things and that's the same for you know when it's like my sample of my, my maternity and nursing tops and you know, I'm able to go down and literally make decisions on the spot and they're saying well how wide do you want this 
hem stitch and do you want it this or do you want it this? I'm saying, oh, okay, right, let's try, let's try, why should I have it like this? What do you think? You know, because you can have all that detail of conversation that again, it's just impossible to when you're working remotely. So between the the sort of efficiency and the ability to to move forwards without wastage is amazing, but also that relationship building and uh, like it's 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 a totally different experience. You know, now I have this sort of my little network of of people I'm working with, and it you know this sort of ability to send someone like a little WhatsApp message and they take a picture and they ping it back to you and you know, people have been really, like, so incredibly helpful, like, supportive. I think that's the thing. I never, I never felt supported before. There was just, you know, somebody was doing a job for me and I was paying them and they were producing something. Whereas this is, this, this feels very different. I, you know, I'm, I'm able to build relationships with people and we're working together is how it feels, which is amazing. Brilliant. And how have the prices, the big question is the prices then. <laughs> And the the order quantities you've had to place, how has that differed with the UK factories compared to what you were getting through the agency you were working with with the Chinese factories? Oh well, I mean, from a well, I haven't had to take out a massive bank loan, which is not a small thing. <laughs> I can fund it myself. Win win. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's a massive thing, you know, because I was going to take out this big bank loan. And, you know, then you have to think, well, now I've got to make loan repayments every month. So that's real pressure on your sales and your overheads and everything else to be able to make that. Whereas now, because I can start with much smaller order quantities, I mean, I've cut the the range down again to a smaller size. So I kind of pivoted the whole business model, really, in a way, because I'm manufacturing my my items here. And I've started with three items. I've got another two sort of in, in development. And then I'm... Filling in the gaps now. So with, I've got a range of other brands' products. So I've sort of got brands that either, like I, I have experience with their products. I use them myself. I know how good they are or they're brands that have similar, similar value. But in terms of the costs then, therefore my costs have gone down a lot because I'm, I am in much more in control. I can say, right, I want, you know, I think I can sell this many. I'm going to work it. Because I think that was the one of the things was a real, the, the first, I think, first time you, when you said, look, well, you, if, you, if you've got 200 items, how are you finding those first 200 customers? Because it's very much the sort of like, oh, yeah, well, here's your 200, 300 pieces. You know, that's just, you just need to start. That's just what you launch with. That's what you start with. And it wasn't until I was in touch with you and you were like, well, literally, how are you going to find those people? And it was like, well, have I, you know, I have my marketing plan, but I don't quite know how it's going to translate from my zero where I am now <laughs> into 300 people. And, and that's where I was struggling with the numbers when I was doing my own forecasting and looking forward and thinking, you know, between the massive, the big lead times you had in China and the big order quantities. So I was sort of going, well, if I sell this many this month, then in order to restock again, because the lead time's so long, I need to put out another huge quantity of money to bring that in again with all of the shipping costs the customs fees the commission fees from the agency and I was going I'm I'm running out of money you know my sales might be good but I'm still running out of money because I have to put so much out whereas now it's it's totally different I've got a really nice tight little supply chain short lead times very flexible quantities you know everything even when I've been like every bit I've been thinking about supplying whether that's the fabric or labels trims i've been really able to think about the like what's the what's the least amount i can get you know can i sort of test the waters you know if i want 10 meters of an eye of a color 
I can produce, you know, eight tops in that color, test the waters with it uh, before I have to commit to buying 50 meters at a time. So it's, it's a totally different sort of scale. But again, with everything, there's the potential to scale up as well. You know, again, I made sure that they, they're not just only able to supply 10 meters. They can, I can then go right now I can buy bulk. So it's that kind of, you know, you're able to, to have a lot more control over your cash flow, I think doing it here doing it like this but that's good because actually what you've explained there is mm. the the true cost of making something it's not yeah. just the cost price mm -mm. it's all those different things on top that make the real difference not having yeah. to spend a lot of money on stock which is what I always teach everyone that that I work with you know don't just look at the cost price no no it's not just yeah. about the cost price I've also been a little bit it has been concerned because I'm doing maternity wear and there's still that perception that oh well you only wear it for a couple of months whereas because maternity fashion is the the worst for fast fashion disposable throwaway stuff and that was that was one of the things I hated about it, it wasn't just that I couldn't find outdoorsy clothing it was that everything I picked up the quality was horrible it was flimsy it was you know it was horrible to put on it felt horrible against your skin as soon as you did you know get active and get sweaty it it just felt disgusting because the fabric was not not good quality and it wasn't put together well and I and I hated that I don't like buying wastage I'm the sort of person that buys an item of clothing and has it for 20 years until it's falling apart you know I, I like I would much rather and I probably bought it secondhand when I did buy it. so <laughs> for me it was like no I would much rather create a quality piece I, you know I've so I've built in design so like a lot of my stuff is the tops aren't just for pregnancy they've got breastfeeding capacity as well but again they're they're good enough quality that they should they'll last you for more than one pregnancy or they will you know be in good enough condition that you can gift them to somebody else or you can resell them as a second-hand piece I was like I'd much rather create something that can can turn into a second-hand market I think that's much more eco-friendly than going well I'll just buy a 15 pound pair of leggings made in a sweatshop yeah <laughs> I think you're making some, some really good points there, though, about, about the quality and the fact that you've been able to, I know you've worked very hard with the factories to make sure that the quality is exactly where you need it to be. So that, like you say, it, it, you could then pass it down. You could use it for your second, third, fourth pregnancy yeah. if you had one. Um, let's not pretend that there haven't been challenges along the way because it's never no. plain sailing is it when it comes to product development no it's so not, what challenges no. have you had since you've been working with the UK factories and how have you overcome them so I think one one of the first challenges um was related to price so for, for example with one factory again we're working on the leggings and we we got sort of so far down the path and and then it was well this is this is what I'd want to charge you for you know as a cost price for making these and I and I went oh that that is not it's not anywhere near what I was hoping it was about twice what I was hoping for or aiming for with my costings so that was that was difficult <laughs> and it kind of highlighted to me though that that actually it, there's on the one hand you can't ask a factory to give you a price until they have made some samples because your garment is different there's the fabric is different and how difficult that is to work with the machines depends on 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 that fabric and the way you put it together the way the seams come together you know I've actually got quite a technical set of leggings they're not they're not sort of just bog standard stitch them up they have been really challenging to, to get to come together nicely because I've tried to 
fit them really well underneath a bump and scoop around. You know, some of the seams are like impossible. And the fabric I'm using is a heavyweight fabric, which again is a nightmare for the machines. So I have a better appreciation of of actually how how complex it is to make a good quality garment when you're asking for, you know, all of these specifications to be hit. But what it did highlight was it's sometimes it's better to have that conversation a bit earlier rather than say, you know, get three or four samples down the line and then start talking about prices. Even if, I mean, your manufacturer might not be comfortable or particularly keen on talking about price, but to just say, look, I'm not going to hold you to anything, but I need some sort of ballpark figure. You know, this is, this is where, and this is why then when I've been talking to other manufacturers down the line, kind of this first conversation, again, in person or on the phone or whatever you can do, say, look, this is, this is where I'm looking at. This is sort of my, my, my ballpark. This is what I'm hoping for in terms of my budget. You know, is, is that something that's actually feasible for you or not? Because there's no point in wasting your time and my time if it's not. And that has been, you know, the way some, some people have said, oh no, I'm looking at, you know, it would cost me 30 or 50 or more pounds to make these. And I say, well, that's, that's fine. I can't afford that. So I've got to try and make a new plan or, you know, look elsewhere or. So, you know, communication is really, really key, I think, and being transparent, even if it's a bit uncomfortable because no one likes to talk about money. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's true, even if it's uncomfortable. And I always make everyone, and I make you, may do do this, work out your costings before you know your manufacturing price, yeah. but after <laughs> you know what your target retail price is, mm. so you know what you're aiming for. So you're not on the spot if a manufacturer does it in the other direction and asks you what your target cost price is. Yeah. Some do, some don't. So that you're not uh, stuck for what to say, but you've got a rough indication of yeah. what you're aiming for. So everyone's yeah. got their cards on the table. That's it. Because, it, yeah. uh, you know, at the end of the day, you both want, you want the job to work and you want it to go, but it's got to be viable for everyone. And if it's, if it's not, then things have got to be, you've got to rethink it. Yeah. And, and I was like working at the cost sheet, I remember initially, but I was going, but I don't know all the answers. How can I fill this in? But, you know, once you've started, you know, you get all the bits of information slowly you know, you know once you've got the fabric cost worked out but then now for me because one of the things you have to you need to be able to put in is obviously well how much fabric do you do you use so how much is it going to cost you to make so that took some interesting maths because I was like I have literally no idea how many meters of fabric go into a pair of leggings and you're sort of trying to do google <laughs> that's not very helpful but I had because I had my prototypes from China and they were like a similar weight fabric so I was just literally weighing them and then going, right, well, if Very that is smart. 320 GSM and this weighs 370 grams, then it must be <laughs> this much fabric has gone into it. So then I was having to translate that into, well, this is my fabric width of this fabric I've chosen. So how much length? So it, it's, yeah, there's a little bit of like maths and guesstimations and things going into it, but it's, it's doable, you know, and it, that's the thing is then you are going in informed with an idea of, you know what you need to hit because yeah at the point at which they said 25 pounds I was going oh, I, I can't that's that's yeah. not going to work <laughs> whereas otherwise if I hadn't done that I could have said oh okay yeah okay <laughs> and then it wasn't until you get much further down the line and you start to panic yeah exactly exactly so Claire what advice would you give anyone else in the same position that you were in three years ago think yeah. back when you first had this idea right, yeah and you didn't know where to start, what advice would you give anyone that was in that position? Three tips. I think my first tip is always going to be the customer research. 
you you need to make sure that this is a product that is wanted by people because if if not then it's it's just a dream and it's not going to go any further you know i i remember seeing something i think it was something that went on dragon's den years ago and it was somebody had designed a, a little cap that you could put on the end of a cucumber to keep it fresh and it kind of got to it and everyone just went well, why don't you just cut the end of the cucumber off like you don't need to buy a product to keep your cucumber fresh and i thought oh no all of the work that's gone into that so you don't want to do that. You don't want to get to the point where you're launching something and no one actually wants it. So that is really comes down to just talking to people. You know, find, try and find your market. Put yourself out there really uncomfortably. Phone people, text people, email people, badger them to complete surveys for you. You've, you've got to, and, and I, I did a lot of reading beforehand as to how to do that as well. So some, some books about, you know, about doing customer research and how to design a survey and not do leading questions so that people say what you want them to say, not what they actually think. So it's all definitely customer research, 100%. Then I think the other thing then does thinking about taking that step from the people and the product and looking at the market and the margins and the numbers. I mean, I've, I've got so many spreadsheets because, you know, it is difficult because if you're trying to work out, well, I don't know how much it costs to make something, but you can kind of see, well, other people have done it, so it must be feasible because businesses do exist in your sector and might turn like maternity wear. It must be possible to make affordable maternity wear because people are doing it. But at the same time, what could the market for my special product be? You know, you've got something that is, is unique or, you know, there's a reason you're doing it. But how many people can you actually target? How many bits do you need to sell to make this affordable? And how are you going to do it? Are you going to do something which is, you know, low cost and you've got to sell vast numbers or are you going for the sort of product that's a high value product and you need to sell less maybe, but maybe you have less people to target in the first place. So it's really thinking about what is what is your strategy? What is your business model here? What, how are you actually going to do this? When it comes to actually making it happen, then I said, other than saying, sign up with Kate to make it British. Uh. <laughs> you know, but, but I think that's it. You've, you have got to find experts or mentors or supportive people around you, you know, it, it, it does help when you've got people you can bounce ideas off. If, you know, if you're already in the industry and you're just sort of taking something on to do for yourself, maybe it's easier, but, but even then still having a business mentor or something because, because it, is, it is hard work and you can get, it's very easy when it's just you to get stuck in your head and things are going round and round and round at 3 a.m. And to be able to have someone where you can, bounce it off and go help if you need is really valuable. I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone like, let's get Kate on Slack. I've got an issue. <laughs> and it's, but is it knowing that you have that moral support as much as anything, it, it does make a big difference. Brilliant. And so on that note then, what have you found has been the biggest benefit to you of being in the British Brand Accelerator? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that Oh, the biggest, well, the biggest is, is I'd say sometimes it's my mindset has changed since I've met you and it's being thinking about from, from everything from when, when you should just bootstrap it and give it a go. Because again, I was very much like, well, I don't know how to do that. I better pay someone to do it for me to do it properly. Whereas now, you know, you'll kind of encourage people to, well, well, just, just give it a, give it a try and see if you can save some money or here or 
you know, don't don't just go for the most expensive option necessarily. If see if there's an alternative way to do it. So I'm like, I'm building my own website now. I was going to pay eight and a half grand for somebody to build my website. That's that's what it was. So I was quoted to do an e-commerce website and design and all of that. And it was, I'm sure it would have been great. But actually, do you know what? And I thought I can't do website design. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I have loved every minute of building my own website, and I've saved eight and a half grand. And I, I wouldn't have gone down that path again if I hadn't sort of. I think, yeah, been part of the Maker British and gone, well, just, you know, give to try. You know your business. You know what you want to say and what you want to do. And, and, and whether that's then the kind of confidence to, like, say, go and visit factories and have those conversations and, you know, get the information. You need the information. So, you know, ask for it. Get, do it, you know. But then also that, like, from a practical point of view, like, I, I don't see that I would be anywhere near having products ready to go if it hadn't been signing up with you because the you know the the network <laughs> that you have built and all the people that you've introduced me to and then and even if like somebody you've introduced me to hasn't been able to necessarily help me they have usually given me another contact to follow or another contact and I, I know there's so many I mean there's multiple um manufacturers or people that I've spoken to have said well I don't I wouldn't normally do a job like this or this size, but because you've come from Kate, <laughs> let's have a chat. You know, and that, that you can't really like, Aww. you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like say my tops, the manufacturer, uh, he, <laughs> I'm doing such tiny quantities and he, he was sort of, you know, there initially, if you look on their website, it's like 50, minimum order of 50 pieces per size. And I was like, oh God, that's like, you know, if I want to launch a five sizes, we're talking 250 items. It's like China quantities again. I don't want to do that. So if I'd been on my own, I wouldn't have ever even contacted him. But, you know, because I was with you, you said, well, let's, let's, let's give him a shout. And he said, oh, well, yes, okay. Because cause you've come through Kate. And, and then, you know, we've got to the point where he's, he's sort of said, look, well, I, it's not efficient for me to do tiny quantities, but I want to help you get off the ground. So you tell me what you want and I'll just make it. Yeah, which just makes a big difference. <laughs> and he can see, though, he can see, though, Claire, as I can see, that you're definitely going places. And I hope Grow so. Wild Outdoors <laughs> is going to be amazing. So at the time that this podcast goes out, you're actually launching this weekend at the baby show. Yes. So yes, when I'm trying to think when this, we... <laughs> you will be... I'll be in London. You will be at the baby show. Yeah. Which is going to be where you're launching. Yeah. Exciting. How are you it feeling is. about that? I am really excited. I cannot wait. I mean, like so you probably guess, I really like talking to people. So I'm really <laughs> looking forward to being able to actually, yeah, get 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 there and, and have stuff because it's been so much like this build up and talking about it, you know, three and a half years of planning and discussing and, and actually to to have products like ready and look, look, I made this is amazing. So I'm really looking forward to it. I've done Again, so much planning. I have a, a list that's about a mile long and, and, you know, it's all being planned with military precision down to like, right, we need to get here and then I can fold this and this needs to be hung up and I've got the hooks to hang that up and I've got the Velcro for this. And, you know, I'm trying to imagine every step. But I went to the baby show back in May when it was being run in the NEC. So I scouted it out on foot and I actually went, I went on the Friday, so it was relatively quiet. So I was able to chat to all of the exhibitors that were there. And I basically said, look, I'm start up. I'm planning to exhibit at the next one. Can you give me some tips? You know, or can I take some photos of how you put your stand up? So it was, it's literally me like taking photos of how people have hung posters and the brand of lights they're using. So, you know, which is really helpful because now 
you know, five months down the line, I'm sort of Googling on my phone going like, what, what, how, where do I get that from? And how many, how many hooks do I need? And I'm counting the size of the racks that I need to hang my clothing on and ordering it. But I think it's going to make my life a lot easier. I'm trying to, you know, not like it, it will, you know, we'll get all the essentials done. If it's not absolutely perfect, it will be good enough. That's the other thing I've taken from, I think, from the British Round Accelerator is good enough and out there is a better starting point than perfect, but it never happens. <laughs> exactly. Done is better than perfect. Yeah. So where can everyone find you then, Claire? If they want to check you out online, they want to buy your products for themselves because they're pregnant or for a friend as a gift, how can they find you? Growwildoutdoorwear.com or my Instagram handle is Grow Wild Outdoorwear. At the moment, I am, yeah, I'm just thinking about the timings of when this goes out. I'm running a giveaway as well to celebrate our launch. So you can either, that's, that will be on the, on the poem page of growwildoutdoorwear.com. So yeah, if you've got, you know, any, any pregnant ladies in your lives that might like a nice bundle of beautiful, beautiful clothing, mum and baby, I've got a little bundle going on. So I, I kind of tailoring it to, depending on what stage of motherhood people are at. So it's not just purely pregnancy or, you know, so it's, yeah, it's a nice little bundle anyway. And that's where you can find me. Brilliant. Claire, you've been an amazing guest and I can't wait to watch your brand grow. Excuse the plum, to, to watch Grow Wild Outdoor Wear grow over the next, over the coming months and years. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been amazing. Bye. Bye.